Welcome to the Godmother Podcast. I'm Lisa Bevere, your Godmother host. I believe that each and every one of us needs a Godmother. That is somebody who comes alongside of us in a season of hardship, a season of transition, a season of change. And I think we're in all of those right now. And today's guest, I'm super excited. It is Deborah Faletta, and she is a licensed therapist. She's written a book along with Gary Thomas called Married Sex. Now, I, I hope that you guys understand that married sex can be amazing sex. And she's going to be talking to us about some of the misconceptions, some of the barriers that we have in kind of the ruts that we get into and what we can do so that we can have the right conversations and move forward in our intimacy in marriage. So listen to this. She is a licensed professional counselor, international national speaker, relationship expert, hallelujah, author of True Love Dates, Choosing Marriage, Love in Every Season, as well as Are You Really Okay? She is the host of Hotline Style Love and Relationship Podcast. She actually she actually does therapy on people, which is amazing, live right there. Her popular relationship advice blog called truelovedates.com reaches millions of people with the message that healthy people make healthy relationships. I'm so excited. Thank you for joining us today, Deborah. Well, I am so excited that you guys are going to hear from my friend, Deborah. I got to spend some time with Deborah last summer. Some of you might have heard her during Summer of Strong. I love it that she is a therapist. I love it that she goes deep. And I, Deborah has written a new book called Married Sex. And, and what they have here is Christians can have hot sex too. So I just want you to know if you're thinking... I don't know if Christians should be talking about sex on podcasts. Well, yes, we should. If we're not talking about it, then our children, our friends, or we ourselves are going to have to go to other people that might have distorted vantages on this. So, Deborah, you have a brand new book called Married Sex. You co-wrote it with Gary Thomas. So tell me how this project came about. Like, what made you think, I want to do this? And uh, how is it different from other books that we might find out there on intimate sexual issues? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the topic of sex has always been something that I, as a therapist, really see as an important part of the building blocks of a healthy relationship. And, you know, being a Christian, um, I do see how it's a conversation that's avoided in the church. And, and we're really careful and cautious about how to talk about it and when and where. So I was approached by Gary Thomas, who is a best-selling author. He's also a pastor. And he he's had this vision of writing this book to kind of help Christians um, figure out what does it look like to make the most of this area in your marriage and what does it look like to overcome some of the barriers. And so he wanted to partner with me because I'm a licensed counselor. He's a pastor. And I really appreciated that because sometimes we think we have all the answers. Pastors are not I, always counselors or therapists. Right, right. And, and therapists aren't pastors, you know, like I feel like I have a good understanding of God's word and it overflows into how I practice, but I'm not a pastor. I've never been to seminary. And so we just thought that the combination of the fact that he's a pastor, I'm a therapist, he's a man, I'm a, I'm, I'm a woman, but also he and his wife, Lisa, have been married for over 35 years. 
So they're kind of on the later spectrum of a healthy marriage. My husband, John, and I have been married for about 15. So you kind of consider us in the early stages of marriage. And so we just thought that kind of covered the spectrums of how can we offer different perspectives and cover all the bases here of what it looks like for the audience who's reading. Yeah. So now somebody's listing and think, okay, well, that that's that's interesting, but I'm just in a rut. And I've, I've been married now, you're saying 15 years, 35, 35 years, how, how do, it's just the same and same and same. How, what do you say to that, that couple? And, mm-hmm. uh, is, is there a chance? Is it, what if one person is like, well, I'm okay with this rut. And the other person's like, I, I really want more intimacy. What, what do you say to that couple? Well, the first thing is realizing that there are different obstacles when it comes to the rut. You know, I like how you called it the rut because some people just don't know what else to call it. And and so let's look at some of these different obstacles. First of all, one of the obstacles could be theological. It could be that the things you learned about God and sex and intimacy, what you learned from scripture, there could be um, deficits in your learning. There could be expectations that were not healthy that were given to you. And, and those things have kind of fallen into your belief about sex. So there could be a theological problem. There could be a psychological issue. That's where I come in, you know, talking about sometimes the rut we're experiencing in the present is actually rooted in past wounds and hurts and beliefs and experiences from our past. And we don't even realize it. Another rut could be relational. I mean, you could be facing a relational obstacle in that your emotional intimacy in your marriage is not where it needs to be. And so what ends up suffering is your sex life. You know, the rut could even be a physical rut. One thing that we found in working with over 100 couples participated in a group of answering questions and surveys. And one thing that we realized is that there's a lot of people who actually have not learned the basics of the anatomy of the human body. I mean, I've worked with clients who didn't even know the names of certain very important body parts of the male and female anatomy. That just goes to show you we are lacking in our education and sometimes it's a purely physical thing. We've just always done the same thing and we don't realize that there's other physical ways to pleasure and please one another. And so there's there's obstacles that we can face. And really, I think that this project, this book kind of helps us to unpack which of these areas could it be? Could it be all of them? The, 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 the fifth obstacle I want to identify is purely um, routine and mundane. And sometimes we just get stuck in the rut of doing the same things over and over again. And we don't know where to go to get different options you don't want to just Google it because you really don't know what's going to come up, what's out there. Don't do, don't Google. I'm just going to say. Exactly. And and so that's the whole point. When, when I was talking to, uh, to couples gathering data, the majority of them said they just don't do anything at all. They don't ask anyone. They don't Google it. They don't figure it out because they're just too afraid to. So they just end up doing the same things over and over again and feeling stuck. Okay. So you have covered a lot of things. One, another, I know John and I had the obstacle of he had gotten involved in pornography before we got married. And like many couples or men think once they get married, that will fix it because, hey, I have 
an issue with pornography and masturbation, but once I get regular sex with my wife, who I love, who loved me, then it'll be fixed. But we all know that doesn't fix it. Right. Getting married right. doesn't fix it. If anything, uh, it brings it more to the surface because you thought that getting married was going to fix it. So you didn't do the work you needed to do before you got married. Um, is that one of the things that you're finding uh, unrealistic expectations or sexual comparisons? Or y- does that create a very selfish dynamic with the man? What Can can you highlight any of those things? Yeah. So, so if we look at another obstacle, let's put that in the category of personal struggles. Okay. I, I would put that in that category because you're going to find other personal struggles that can come up, such as insecurities about your body. Um, a personal struggle could be anxiety and depression. Clinical depression can put a damper on your sex drive. Hormonal struggles could be a personal uh, obstacle that you have to face, but also pornography. That is a huge one because it gets in the way of true intimacy. It's a faux intimacy. It makes you feel like you're connecting, but you're really not. Um, And so getting to the root of why is that a problem? Why is this an obstacle that I'm facing? Now, the truth of the matter is we talk about pornography in the book as far as making sure that men and women realize that there is no place for pornography in a healthy marriage. And you have to get to a place where you purge that out of your life. The reason we didn't commit an entire chapter to it, for example. Which you could have. You could have. Which we could have. We easily could have. In fact, we we truly thought about it, but then this book was so thick. and, And the realization at the end was, you know what? If somebody is battling a porn addiction, this book is not for them. Because you can't begin to build on a healthy sex life if you don't have the foundation. And part of that foundation is dealing with those personal issues. Okay. So what do you do with people that would say, um, like, I love, first of all, I agree with you hundred percent that pornography has no place in a marriage, even, even if couples, cause I've had couples say that together they watched porn to like, enliven their marriage right, sexual right, life right to get um, stimulated and, or and, whatever they and call they it. they quoted that it's okay because the marriage bed is pure and undefiled i believe that that scripture is the marriage bed is to be kept pure and undefiled because it goes on to right. say god will judge the adulterer or the fornicator the sexually immoral so what do you do with that scripture because i know there's a lot of women uh, that I've talked to in the past um, that have said, my husband wants me to do this and I'm uncomfortable with it. And he uses the scripture, the marriage bed is pure. Like, what do you do with those kind of things? You know, I, I'm with you in that I interpret it as you need to keep the marriage bed pure. Guarded. You need yeah. to be an active participant and take responsibility for making it pure because we wouldn't apply that in the context of other things. We wouldn't say, oh, just because you're aware of an affair or just because you're an okay with the affair that it makes it okay in the eyes of God. We would never go to that extreme. So we can't have a double standard in how we apply that scripture and realizing that all of these things that are causing us to go outside of our relationship are actually pulling us away from the sanctity of the marriage bed. And one thing 
that we've learned is that pornography actually changes your brain. It changes the, the way that you respond to real people. It, it, it affects your ability to be drawn and attracted to your wife or your husband because now your brain is wired to respond to something that's not even real or true. Sometimes I use the analogy of eating sugar. I took a sugar fast for about 50 days of all refined sugar. Um, so, so nothing with, with refined sugar whatsoever. And, and by, the, by the middle of that um, fast, a piece of fruit tasted like candy. It was like unbelievable because now my body had adjusted to not having sugar and now real natural healthy sugar through fruit tasted so much sweeter. And I think pornography does a similar thing to our bodies and our brain. You know, if you would relate pornography to that toxic, unhealthy, refined sugar and you're just having all of this this unhealthy, unnatural, false stimulus it's going to affect your ability to enjoy and savor the true beauty, the true joy, the true fulfillment of a marriage. You're actually hurting yourself when you're going to pornography, when you're going to those false things. And so there's something really important there for us to realize. I'm not only harming my marriage, but I'm harming myself. I'm harming my own ability to enjoy sex the way that God intended for it to be enjoyed. And then we know research shows us that there's a high incidence of things like um, sexual problems that come up, male impotence, because I'm so used to going to porn, going to fake things, that now in the context of a real relationship, I no longer have that desire. So you've got to get that straight first. You've got to get that purged out of your life. There's a difference between addictive pornography and problematic pornography. Um, but both could require the help of a professional counselor to help you begin figuring out why do you do these things? I mean, for some people, I don't know what John's story was, Lisa. For some people with, with accountability and support and, and continually confessing, they can break free of problematic pornography. When it's an addiction and it's actually altered your brain, it is really helpful to get plugged in with a licensed counselor to help you figure out what it looks like to break free of that. Yeah, you know, I know that for John, it he he would describe it as an addiction, but it might have been problematic. I, I do know he tried to get free on his own and he couldn't. Uh, he he went on a fast, like you're mentioning about a sugar fast. He went on a uh, an intense fast and felt like that was when he got free. Um, let me ask you a question. There, yeah. I, I love that you said there's common misconceptions, and I want everybody to hear the word common. So sometimes when we have a misconception, we think we're the only one that has that misconception, but there's common misconceptions or sexpectations, is, is what uh, Deborah says, that Christian couples hold about their sex lives. What are some of those yeah. common things? Let's just expose those things so people yeah, know. Yeah, because some of, some of our beliefs are what are getting in the way of us enjoying the gift of sex. You know, for example... I, I'll say the first one that comes to mind is that many of us as women grow up thinking and believing that sex is just for the man. Talk about a false expectation. That's not true in, 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 a, in a psychologically healthy relationship, nor is it even true in scripture. One of the things I love that Gary Thomas pointed out 
is that the Song of Solomon actually opens up, opens, the entire book opens, starting with the pleasure of a woman. She says, let, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for his love is better than wine. It's like she is talking about her own pleasure. And I think a lot of times we have that backward where we think it's about the pleasure of the man. Sex is just about him. Maybe we grew up in a home or in a context or environment where men were making sex jokes. Sex was primarily a, a guy's thing. Or maybe you grew up with a woman as a mom who was like, oh, sex is terrible and all men want is sex and da, 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 da. And you start to believe that, okay, maybe it's just a male thing. And then you get into marriage and that expectation leads the way. And you don't realize what it means to ask. You don't realize the, how important it is to get your own needs met and to share what you need and desire. So, so that's a false expectation. One of the things that we found out when we surveyed men in particular was that healthy men get more enjoyment from the pleasure of their wife than their own pleasure. There's something about uh, seeing your wife enjoying and receiving that gives them pleasure. And I think that's, there, that's a powerful thing to understand when you're trying to assess the dynamic of your relationship. Another expectation, a false sexpectation, um, is that sex isn't going to have any problems. We're not going to have any problem spots. I mean, we've waited until marriage and, you know, I, I, one of my, my quotes that I say is that just because you wait doesn't make it great. <laughs> now, I don't mean that we shouldn't wait, you know, don't get me wrong. Yeah. yeah. I am a very firm component component to to waiting because I believe there's power in obedience and I believe we wait because of what God is doing inside of us not because it's going to magically make our sex life incredible right yeah I texted my son uh, my firstborn son on his honeymoon and I said just remember this is the worst sex you'll ever have and, and <laughs> because I I knew there would be the most pressure the most pressure to perform but it was all new, you know, and so yeah, I, totally, I, yeah. I, I, I love that you're exposing that. So just because yeah. you wait doesn't make it great. Love that. No, this is a process, and and I think I think couples are surprised when they come up against problems in their sex life. Eighty percent of the pro of the of the couples that I surveyed said at some point in their marriage, at some point they were faced with a sexual problem, whether something external like stress or they don't have time for it, schedule, or something a little bit more significant like mismatched sex drives or even pain during sex. There's a lot of different problems that are gonna come up along the way. And I think for us as Christians, not to be shocked by it, not to be embarrassed by it, but to be prepared for it. Like this is gonna happen and when it does, I shouldn't be surprised. I just need to have the tools in my toolbox to figure out how to get through this obstacle. And is it just, so do you think those two things feed each other where people think there's not going to be a problem, so there is a problem, and when there is a problem, they're afraid to admit there's a problem because there shouldn't have been a problem, you know, according to whatever movies they've seen or whatever they've read. So they're not gathering the information maybe ahead of time or having the conversations that they need to have. Exactly. And then they're afraid to talk about it. It's like, Sex is one of those things, Lisa, it's like, who do you go to to talk about sex? It's not like you have this conversation with your girlfriend at Starbucks. It's not like it comes out during Bible study 
you know, a co a co-ed Bible study with husbands and wives. It, these are the type of things that really easily get neglected because there isn't there aren't many safe places to learn and grow and 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 kind of compare notes. And that's why bringing in a hundred different couples was important to us. I don't want you to base your sex life on what my husband and I do. Gary doesn't want you to base your sex life on what him and Lisa do because every couple looks completely different. There's no formula. And so bringing in the perspectives of different couples was important to us so that we could speak from our expertise and not necessarily our experience. Um, because I, I we wanted you to have a resource giving you things, ideas, concepts, that you would have never thought about it, but, but these people were able to come and share anonymously and safely. I love that. Now, so if somebody just joined us, we are talking to Deborah Folletta. She is a licensed therapist and she's written an amazing book called Married Sex. And just as she said, where do you go? Well, this is a resource that you can go to. We want you to be resource. Uh, you know, John and I would always say to couples, if you are having a problem in your relationship, usually the first place it's going to show up is your bedroom. Is that? 100%. Okay. Lisa. So, so let's talk about some of those relational struggles. You know, one of my favorite things that Levi Lusco said about this book is that if the enemy can't take you out on the battlefield, he will take you out in the bedroom. Wow. And I think there's so much truth to that in marriage. And and one thing that I say in married sex is that our relationship above the sheets is often reflected in what happens underneath the sheets or vice versa. What happens underneath the sheets is often a symptom of what's happening above the sheets. And what I mean by above the sheets is in the health of our marriage, our relationship, our our love and respect of one another, our grace and forgiveness, our ability to have healthy communication and not just allow things to just build bitterness and resentment. You think if you are harboring bitterness and resentment, you're going to come to the end of the night and feel like being intimate with your spouse? Absolutely not, you know? And, and, I think we've got to understand that building the health of our relationship is so key. And sometimes when you're struggling with something that you think is a sexual problem, maybe it's problems in frequency. You know, I just worked with a couple on a live podcast. I was doing a podcast series, Lisa, called Couples Therapy, where I was bringing on couples to do therapy sessions. And one of them came in. The problem was they weren't having sex enough. But when we dug a little bit deeper it was so much more than just frequency because just giving them the solution of, oh, why don't you just have sex a little bit more or carve it out or put it in your calendar, that's not gonna get to the root. And so for them, there was a few roots. Number one, there was a history of abuse that she hadn't fully dealt with. You know, there were some remnants there. She had gone to some counsel, but there was some remnants of beliefs that needed to be changed about sex. Number two, there were some relationship problems that needed to be addressed that had never been addressed that were building some bitterness and resentment. Number three, there was some things that weren't being communicated or asserted. There were some needs in the marriage that were just kind of being covered up. And when you put those three things together, there's a good chance you're going to have problems with frequency because you're not going to want to be intimate. It's not going to come naturally when there's all of these things happening underneath the surface. Yeah. And it's not just, it's not just the women 
that don't want to have sex. Sometimes it's the men who have something that has wounded them or abuse in the past, and, and they're they're afraid. I mean, I've had yes. wives tell me I my husband doesn't want to have sex with me, which feels like this profound rejection. And so I, I what I'm hearing you say is it's probably not about her. 100%. In fact, the couple before this couple was also struggling with their sex life. And he was the one that was really struggling. She wanted to have sex more. But as we unpack their story, he had come from a history of abuse that he never really delved into. Not only that, but he found that when he saved himself for marriage, they were very deliberate about not having sex up until their wedding day because he had a sexual history. Well, they found out when he got married and they started having sex, that sexual history began to resurface for him mentally. And he felt guilty and didn't know what to do about it. And so it was making him lose his desire for sex because of all of this guilt underneath the surface. So he was the one in the relationship that wasn't wanting to be intimate and she was. So there's no, there's no like stereotype. Now, now granted, is it typical for a man to have higher desire than a woman? Typically, if we're going to survey, you know, a couple thousand people, that's probably the likelihood is that the man will desire it more. But it changes in different seasons of life. You know, there's different stages and seasons where that begins to change. There's marriages where it's completely swapped. So really, it's about understanding you and understanding your spouse. And 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 honestly, most important in all of this is for us to, to have a comfort level in having these conversations. First of all, we're uncomfortable talking about it with anybody else, but I found that many couples are not even comfortable sharing and talking about it among themselves in their own Absolutely. marriage. Right. Or, or if they are talking about it, they're talking about it wrong. Instead, like, instead of saying something like, I really want our sexual intimacy to be fulfilling for both of us. And right now, I feel like there's some steps we can take to move that way. Instead of saying, you're not pleasing me, you're not satisfying right. me, you're not doing, because then that, that does cause a breakdown. So I, I think that having a common goal is important. Yes. And I will add to that. There is one chapter in this book, it's called Choose Your Own Adventure, where I actually outline for you, what does it look like to have this conversation? Step A, B, and C. Here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. Here's some places to begin. Here's some questions to ask. I love that. Here's some things to consider because I know this conversation is an, an, a really important piece to the puzzle of a healthy sex life. So would this be a good book for a couple to read together? Definitely. I, you know, one thing Gary and I have said is that this is a book of questions more than a book of answers, meaning I want you to read it with your spouse and ask each other, well, this person in the book said this works for them, but does that work for you? Yeah. What do you think yeah. about that? What right. do you think? What, what are, what is, what are some expectations that you might have brought into marriage? What are some expectations I brought that we found out were actually false? How are we feeling about the health of our relationship? Um, are there different things that the either of us would like to try or feel unsatisfied with? Let's let's talk about these things, and it's a book of questions. Talk to your spouse, ask them questions throughout the book, and and learn how to have that conversation and be more comfortable with one another. So there is one question here I want you to answer. It says, "What is the hallmark of a healthy sex life?" If I had to choose one thing, if I had to narrow it down, I would say the hallmark 
is mutuality, reciprocity, and realizing that sex is for us. It's for our marriage. It's for our good. It's for both of us to feel connected, for both of us to feel pleasured, for both of us to feel satisfied. And what does it look like for us to work towards that in our marriage? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us. It's about a reflection of our relationship in the context of mutuality. We both are here to serve, but we're also both here to receive. There's a giving and a taking on both parties that makes it truly beautiful. Now, don't get me wrong. There's going to be nights when one or the other person might not feel totally up to it, but says, you know what, I want to show my spouse love and I want to serve them in this way. And that's going to happen on both sides. That's going to happen for him sometimes. That's going to happen for her sometimes. So I'm not saying that it's never going to happen that way, but I think the theme and the foundation is the knowledge and belief that this is for both of us. This is for our marriage. This is for us. So does this kind of uh, enjoyment or sexual adventure, does it change with time? I mean, John and I have been married for 40 years. Uh, have you seen this in couples where it, it changes or matures or what, what would you say? One of my favorite things has been learning from the older generation as we were writing this book, you know, couples who have been married 40, 50, 60, even 70 years talking about the intimacy and, and, and really the theme is intimacy. If, 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 if that is the theme, we are weaving intimacy throughout the entirety of our marriage. And sometimes it's going to look like a thriving sex life. Other times it's going to look a little bit differently. But one couple, one older couple said to me, the key is communicating the whole way through. We don't stop talking about it because life changes, needs shift, desires change, preferences get altered all throughout life, energy levels fade. But as long as we keep talking about it, as long as we're there to learn, as long as we're there to serve and honor one another, intimacy is going to stand strong throughout time. And it's going to look a little bit different in different stages. For sure, you're going to have to pivot and readjust and figure out what's normal for us today, what's right for us right now. But all that to say, um, keep talking about it the whole way through. Keep meeting and discussing and, and, and never assuming that the other person is just done. You know, um, These conversations are just so, so important. And I think communication is truly the lifeline of a relationship. I love that. I love everything that you said. I, I hope that as you guys are listening to this, you heard what Dr. Well, I always call you Dr. Deborah. I know it's therapist <laughs> Deborah. Ther therapist Deborah said, number one, communication. Number two, it's for the woman and for the man. There can be ebbing and flowing, but you don't want to stop. You want to go ahead and communicate throughout whatever season. I know, uh, Deborah, when we had young kids, John and I would just look at each other and we would say, I, I'd like to have sex with you. I'm really tired. If we find each other in the middle of the night, let's go for it. I mean, we would just be so tired, but we always were uh, intentional to infer, affirm desire, you know, yeah. and, and affirm that I, we wanted to participate, that we wanted to be with each other. And I think, I think that there's a lot of people that bring 
baggage. And I, I loved how you said how this one person, when they got married, it, it reawakened a lot of the things they had, they hadn't had sex before they were married. That's, that's kind of what happened with John and I, there was a sexual, uh, bad history for me. And then when I, you know, I shut down and then when I started having sex, I hadn't dealt with it. I had just kind of pushed it aside. It came back like a time bomb. And yeah. I remember the Holy Spirit saying, you, you awakened your sexuality in the realm of lust and you've got to get it back to sleep and reawaken it in the realm of intimacy. And I think one of those things is we can be in a sexual nightmare, and yet that doesn't mean we can't wake up from the nightmare and go back into a place of dreaming. And so I feel yeah, like married so sex powerful. is this you know, one tool. Of, one of the things that I address, there's so many different chapters in the book, obviously, but one of them um, from my that I write is about the importance of going backward in order to go forward. Because sometimes those things in our past keep us stuck. So what does it look like for us to deal with our own sexual baggage? And I kind of talk you through three steps to figuring out how to do that, you know, and they're based on scripture. When, when the Bible says, take off the old, renew your mind and put on the new. Well, how do we apply that to our past sexual baggage? I kind of talk you through that because what you said is so important. You have to deal with some of that stuff or it will resurface. Just shoving it aside doesn't actually mean that you've dealt with it fully. I love that. Well, I want everybody to know that they can stay in touch with you. Can you tell them the best ways? I follow you on Instagram, but that's not the only thing you have. So give them all the ways that they can keep in touch with you. Yeah. Instagram is my favorite platform these days. You can find me at Deborah Fileta. Um, F-I-L-E-T-A. You can also find me on Facebook as well. Um, my website is truelovedates.com and it's a relationship advice website, but there you can find my podcast, which is called Love and Relationships, as well as thousands of free articles and resources to help you on the journey wherever you are, whether single, dating, married, engaged, somewhere in between. Um, there's something for you there. Well, Deborah, I want, I just want to celebrate you. I, I want to thank you for being godly, consistent, uh, I'm curious to dig deep. I know that taking a stance in any area of the sexuality thing means you come under fire. And I just appreciate who you are and your strength. And I just have loved getting to know you. Thank you so much for joining me for the Godmother podcast. It's my pleasure, Lisa. I love you so much. Thanks for having me. I really hope that you get a copy of the book, Married Sex. I believe that we need communication and conversations. And I just want to thank Deborah for joining us. I, I know that so many of us, we don't even want to admit that we might need tools. But if you don't have tools to build, then you cannot move any further than where you are right now. So I'm just so thankful for that. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I love that you are part of the Godmother podcast. We want to hear from you. So we love getting your input. We want to hear what you're thinking, what you'd like to discuss, maybe even guest suggestions. And it also really helps us if you rate or subscribe. When you do both of those things, it actually gets the podcast out further. So thank you so much for doing that. And until next time, this has been your podcast Godmother, Lisa Bevere. Thanks for listening to the Godmother podcast. Let us know your thoughts by leaving a review. You can subscribe and share these episodes through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, 
be sure to check out the other shows in the Messenger Podcast Network, including Conversations with John and Lisa and Let's Talk About It with Sons and Daughters. You can connect with Lisa through Facebook, Instagram, and through her website at lisabevere.com. Until next time.